Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro. With the most reliable tethered workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working pros. Unlock the potential of this powerful tool by downloading your free 30-day trial at CaptureOne.com. In this episode, we're sitting down with the one and only Matthew Jordan Smith, an amazing portrait and celebrity photographer who now lives in Tokyo. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> That's a big shift for you. Major shift. Before Major we get shift. into that, tell our audience who might not know you who you are, what kind of work you do. My name is Matthew Jordan Smith. I've been a photographer my entire life. Um, even before doing it commercially, it was my, my love. My, my father gave me a camera as a kid, and I, uh, I fell in love at that point. And it's, it's still, you know, my, my love, my joy in many ways. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, in terms of my work, I shoot tons of celebrities. You may have seen me on America's Next Top Model. I've done that show about six times. Yeah. Uh, speak all over the world. And um, photography's given me a pretty amazing life. Yeah, it has. Uh, I've shot everybody from from Oprah to to Brandy to to, to Whitney when she was alive. To yeah. I mean, <laughs> you name it, it's just it's just yeah. been a great career. Tyra and, uh, seems to be one of your most photographed subjects. Is she almost oh, your yeah. muse? Like you, <laughs> it seems to me in looking at your work that you've got a pretty special relationship with Tyra Banks. Yeah, I do. I do definitely. Uh, we met early on in both of our careers mm-hmm. and we were both like I guess coming up as it were and started working together started testing just playing around taking great pictures together and I watched her come up as a as a model then first then a supermodel and then now this force amazing, of nature yeah, force yeah. of nature businesswoman and things kind of just changed but uh she's a great friend been a friend for, for forever and uh it's cool to see where she is now yeah, that's awesome. One of the images that struck me most was the split image of the the two faces of Tyra. I remember that day very well. I thought, wow, remember all those that, days very well. Yeah, that was. The, tell us how that one came together because they're so totally different. And guys, it's, go it's, look at this image because it's trippy. It's funny because a lot of the images that we have created over the years, we'll talk about some crazy idea. You know, some of them work, some of them don't. But you get together and you start just shooting these ideas, and. It's a team effort, and yeah. it's always been Tyra Banks, um, Jay Manuel, who used to work, be on the show, was um, a makeup artist back in the day, mm-hmm. and we just talk about ideas. Sometimes we shoot even at Jay's apartment in New York. You know, we just get together and just shoot ideas. Right. And Tyra or Jay had the idea about doing the the double face thing, and it came about, and it uh, and it worked. But we did tons of things that day. We did, turned her into a lion. That one didn't work. <laughs> we had her shooting with, you know, dogs in the clouds. That one kind of worked. That was kind of cool. Yeah. We just always, we've always like pushed the limits on ideas, and whatever it was, crazy or not, we try it, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. So you get to really experiment with some celebrities and kind of push, which oh, yeah. isn't typical. I mean, you think about a lot of celebrity photographers, and you've got ten minutes to shoot somebody. But it sounds like your working with celebrity is a little bit different. You have more of a, it's a little more intimate. Yeah, it's a little more intimate. How'd you get in that position? It's it's kind of funny. My entire celebrity um, life, it was kind of happenstance. I was shooting fashion beauty at the beginning of my career, and then I had a client who called me and said, "Okay, I had a shoot." The photographer backed out because he had a big advertising job. Can you do this shoot? The shoot was Halle Berry. It's my very first celebrity shoot, and they loved the images. It was a cover of a magazine, and then that same magazine gave me uh, Vanessa Williams. Then they gave me Oprah, and then it kind of snowballed. This is like wow. early '90s or mid '90s when it happened. Were you just and like, "Oh my God, what have I fallen into?" <laughs> Actually, it's funny when you're when you're in it, you can't see it happening. Okay, let me silence my phone because people around the world are texting <laughs> me and all kind of stuff here. <laughs> but it's it's just weird how when you're in it, you don't see it. Even yeah. now, sometimes I don't see until my friends like mention things or I look back at the work. But when you're in it, you're just like, you know, enjoying the moment and, right. and taking it day by day. When did you really transition and start calling yourself a, a pro photographer when you went from either out of school or wherever you were? What, what was it that made you, all right, I'm, this is what I do now? 
I guess yesterday, really. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I do. You know, it's funny because, you know, every day you're like, okay, I want to be a photographer. I'm going to work on my craft. And I remember when I first started getting work consistently, I'd be on the plane going somewhere. I'm like, what do you do? I'm like, "Um, uh, I'm going to be a photographer one day. And you're like, no, I'm a photographer. And now, you know, it just, it just rolls off your tongue, and, and it's just part of, it's who I am. It's in my DNA. But uh, it was an evolution. And at first, it was it felt weird, you know, saying that. You yeah. know, what, what do you do? Now I enjoy it. I love it. It's Are you life. on the road a lot? All the time. All the time. Uh, I was living in New York for 29 years of my life, then moved to L.A. for like 10 years, and now I live in a place where I've always wanted to live, Tokyo. What draws you to Tokyo? That's, that's oh a pretty God. exotic place. It's an amazing place. Yeah. Uh, it's, okay, living in New York, it's, it's also a place that inspires you. Um, and it gives you energy, but it also can zap your energy as well. Mm-hmm. Tokyo is the same type of city on steroids. It's, there's so much inspiration for any visual artist um, I've always fed off of those images from, from living in a big city. I didn't do well in L.A. so much because uh, you're in your car everywhere. You don't have that connection to people like you do in a big city, like, like in Paris or like in London, like, like, uh, like Tokyo and New York. You walk around, you, you see things, you experience them, you breathe them in. You're part of this living, breathing experience. And for an artist of any type, it just inspires you. There's stuff going on all the time. You see each neighborhood as it changes. You see fashion evolve before it becomes part of a magazine. And that's just really cool. I think it's interesting to hear one of the best celebrity photographers say that L.A. was a struggle for him. Because that's where you think most celebrities are. But at the same time, you live on the street level. Like, you want to be out and about and seeing all the people in the hustle and bustle. So New York is hard. It's busy, and that kind of wears you out, like you said. It does. Tokyo's on steroids. Does Tokyo energize you more, or does it wipe you out as well? Does it, it energizes me, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just I absolutely love it. I loved New York, I'll say, for, for 28 of the 29 years I was there. I loved it. Um, and then I guess the last year, I was kind of burnt out and just needed a break. Yeah. I still love it. I don't want to live there again, but I still love the city. It will always be part of me. But now Tokyo is like that new part of my of my uh, evolution. I, I assume that you'd been working back and forth between Tokyo and L.A. and New York quite a bit. Yes. So how many years have you been going to Tokyo? Actively, probably the last 10 years going back okay. and forth. So you're fluent in Japanese? I'm not fluent yet, but... Getting there? Nihongo ga skoshi wakarimasu. I speak a little bit of Japanese. Not bad. <laughs> That's cool. So is Japanese life completely foreign? Like living there, are you a fish out of water or are you finding? I've been there so many times. I've probably been there 30 times, you know, before I moved there. Um, It feels more like home than Los Angeles ever felt. I never felt at home in L.A., but Tokyo feels like home. Um, it's a foreign place, but I mean, I've been all over the world, uh, but I've always had this connection with the aesthetic there, um, the design, the the aesthetic of 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 clothing, of fashion, of the attitudes, the the attention to detail. It it uh, puts a. Uh, it stays with you. Yeah. I can see how Tokyo would be really um, appropriate and so spot on for fashion and for beauty. Because for they are they are really music. cutting edge. It's just yeah. incredible. But what about the celebrity stuff? Is that still a great market for the celebrity work? Well, if you think about it, every celebrity comes there. I mean, any big movie, they come there to do a press junket. Yeah. Um, any rock star is going to go to Tokyo. Every music artist comes there. It's actually an amazing place. You'd be surprised. So what led up to the decision that, all right, I'm going to go do, go live in Tokyo. And like, how are you able to do business there? It's hard enough to do business in New York and survive in LA. 
Now you're in Tokyo on the other side of the world in a culture that you didn't grow up in. That's very true. But, you know, the world is such a small world. I was living in L.A. and flying everywhere and not working there. And I was like, I was only sleeping in L.A. I'm like, you know what? Why am I living here? Why not live where I've always wanted to live? It's a small world. I'm always traveling somewhere. Why not have the life you want to have? And that's what I have now. So are you shooting a lot in Tokyo, or are you still just traveling? I'm shooting a little bit of everywhere still now. I'm still working a lot in the States. I fly back and forth a lot. Um, I hope to be working a lot more in Tokyo, because the Tokyo move is fairly uh, recent. Um, But hopefully I'll be working a lot there. I just actually photographed one of the biggest celebrities in Tokyo. Uh, She's like the, the Japanese Oprah, but a younger version. And that's going to open up a lot of doors. She's like the hottest thing right now. So I just shot her two months ago. So I, I hear a lot about the work ethic in, in Tokyo. Is it, yes, is it everything? It's intense. It's, it yeah. is. It is. They work very, very hard. And that also has had an effect on me. Now, working as a photographer uh, and being, you know, working for yourself, I work that way also. I've always, always worked that way. I don't have that nine to five mentality. It's always been like you work until you get it done. Yeah. They do that same thing, but on a grand scale. <laughs> um, it's funny because at 11 o'clock at night, you're coming back on the subways. I love being on the subway again. You come back on the subway, and it's packed like it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Everybody's getting off work. You know, It's kind of funny to see that, this rush of people going home at like 11, 11.30 at night. That's kind wow. of interesting. Wow, that is interesting. Tell me a little bit about how you promote, because promotion is always something that's tricky for a photographer. You've yeah. obviously had decades of work um, to promote. So give me a little background on how you promoted your work, both in the States and now how you're, how that's changing when you're in a place like Tokyo. Well, going to Tokyo is like starting all over again in some ways, but of course I have advantages. Um, I never want to approach promotion and marketing the same way everyone else does. So going to, say you're starting off brand new, you're a brand new photographer and you want to get started in your business. How do you get work? Um, everybody thinks about doing the, the typical things that you normally do to, you know, make connecting with people. But there, there are other ways that are more subliminal that I think in many ways are stronger. And that's what I've been working on. Um, like what? Like having an exhibit, for example. Mm-hmm is one of the best ways to promote yourself. If you're brand new or you're in a new market, you want to reach the masses. You want to make a statement. You want to introduce yourself to a market. One of the best ways to do is have an exhibit where you show your best work and you invite everybody. You invite every editor, every magazine, every celebrity. Whether they come or not, it doesn't matter. They're aware of you, and Mm -hmm. that can change everything. Right. Exhibiting is a good way for you to get into a market, but how, how did you do it initially? What was your marketing path in the States? How did you get oh, your wow. name out in, there? In the beginning, and I've been doing it for 20, 30 years now, so it's, it's, been a, it's a different story. But back then, it was uh, going, you had source books. You still had the source books. Yeah, but you, workbook, black book. And, the, exactly. Yeah. And I have an agent as well. Right. But uh, you've always got to market and promote yourself. So back then, it was just going out and making a printed piece of your work and sending those pieces out to your prospective clients, uh, art buyers, art directors, beauty editors, fashion editors, and, excuse me, that was continuous, and still continuous, actually. Mm-hmm. Now it's more, today, now that I have a connection, people know my name, it's more about doing uh, a signed print, or if I go on holiday or I'm on an exotic trip, I'll send a postcard still to people. Um, I'll send, very often I send a signed print to people. People love that. Yeah. Because nobody sees a printed piece anymore. We all see everything on a device. And the advantage of sending a printed piece, people can hold it in their hands. It's tangible. And it's more special now than ever before. Yeah. You want to make an impact, make your, your, find your best print. Print it, sign it, put it in beautiful paper, beautiful uh, packaging, and send it to a prospective client. Introduce yourself. So that's old school. That's old are school. You, it still are works. Are you doing a lot of social media and doing a lot of things that are um, a bit more quote-unquote trendy along with the uh, I'm with not. The I touch? should be. I should be. I've been studying some of my uh, um, 
younger competition in what yeah. they do in terms of social media it's and hard. Instagram. It's a new world. Yeah. Trust me, it's a new world. And those things work, but a lot of the old things still work too. Yeah. Nothing I think is as is, is powerful as, as meeting face-to-face with a potential client. If you can get in there, if you can... Now, it takes, I believe it still takes seven points of contact before you can get even close to really getting them to remember your name. Oh, absolutely. So it's not like you do one thing and you say, okay, somebody, they never called me and you give up. That's not the process. You've got to keep going at it. It's like you see it's commercial on TV for for Coke or whatever. You see it over and over and over again before it comes part of, you know, some that you recognize. It's the same thing for a photographer who's trying to market themselves. You've got to continuously put yourself out there all the time. And then eventually they call you when it's the right time for them to see your work. But you've got to keep yourself out there all the time. What do you think you'd be doing if you were entering the market today, if you were just starting as a photographer today? Great question. If I was just starting today, I would put a lot of emphasis on Instagram. But I'd be and today my Instagram is is is, is not at all focused on on marketing. It's just kind of like my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I should probably change that around a little bit now that I'm in Tokyo. So <laughs> I'm more uh, uh, business centric. It is, I think, a great medium in terms of meeting potential clients. Uh, you get people to, to notice you if you have a distinctive vision. You've got to have that. I think that's more important now than ever before. If you're just doing the same thing that everybody else does, you don't stand out. You've got to have a specific vision in your work and just show that that one vision consistently. And I think Instagram is great for that. Now, that may change over the next couple of years because, you know, Social media is constantly changing every nine months or so. Um, but doing that along with doing things that are still traditional always work. You do a lot of personal work, too. I do. How, how much of that is a, a player in your life? Major player in my life. It's a, it feeds my soul. So you had this goal of being a, a, a big photographer, so what about when that comes to fruition and you're working every single day, you'll get burnt out. Yeah. You've got to feed your soul by doing something for you. If you're just shooting for a client all the time and shooting their vision, their idea, their concept, and you're making tons of money, that won't fulfill you. It, well, it didn't fulfill me. It's great to have a, a great job where you're making a great payday. But when I was doing those things, it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling my soul. It's different when you're doing something where you feel like this connection to your work that's just for you, and then people feel that, and that leads to work. Let's talk about the the American President's book. Yes. That's a pretty cool book, and it's a great concept, and now it's probably more timely than anything. It's funny. How'd that come about? I had the idea. It's funny. I had this idea for a long time. Um, It came about at this time, but I had the idea back in... I guess the um, maybe 2005, 2006, I first had the idea about doing a project like this. And I started working on a different, a different book project and finished it, and then the economy crashed. So it's around like, I finished it around 2008, mm-hmm. right when the economy crashed. Couldn't get a publisher. I had put all this time and effort into this project, and the world crashed. So... I threw that project out almost, uh, but I was kind of down about because I put all this energy into it. And then I went back later on and started uh, filling with aspects of that project. And I had just one small section called Future Presidents in it. It was like a two-page section in mm-hmm. that other project. I'm like, this is the project. And I went about with the idea of photographing children as future presidents to inspire them in the future. I mean, I didn't know it was going to be like it is now, but <laughs> it's funny how things happen. Yeah. But um, so I went about going to every state in the country. And, I, you know, my personal projects are not based around celebrity or beauty or fashion. It's like whatever is in my soul at the moment. And I've always liked to 
to inspire people through photography. I've always loved that. Right. It's part of my soul. And I was inspired by a book as a kid to be a photographer. Do you remember the book? Yes, I do. It's by Gordon Parks. And it's, it's funny, you know, I, I read a lot of books by him, but I'm African-American, of course, and Gordon Parks was the first African-American photographer. And as a kid, it doesn't really register so much that part, but I saw this person who looked like me doing something that was very cool. He was shooting celebrities. He was going around the world. He was a citizen of the world doing amazing work. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I gravitated to that. Right. Not really conscious of him being, you know, African-American, but he was just, he looked like me, like people around me doing something that was very cool that people weren't doing. And I read the books and it kind of sunk in. It's kind of funny that my life is now kind of like his life was, but that's the power of a book. It's, you know, it, it leaves a little DNA on you. So I want to do a book that could hopefully leave a little DNA on, on kids. So I had the idea of going around the country finding strangers and hopefully having their parents agree to let me photograph them and be part of this book. How how did you find those people? Did you set this all up in advance or did you plop into a city and say, okay, I'm going to go to Missouri and and I'm going to find a a family? That's exactly what I did. You just showed up. I just showed up. I go to national parks. I actually remember being in Missouri, actually, and finding the family and photographing them. And um, it it was scary at first getting started on the project and and the fear of being turned down almost made me not do the book so you were afraid of fear you were afraid of rejection from Absolutely. potential subjects exactly why you 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 can photograph anybody you can sit down with oprah winfrey or tyra banks why would you be afraid of a family you know in missouri because i guess the general public they don't know me I'm just like, you know, uh, they just see who this are big you? black guy walking to them and saying, for camps saying, can't take a picture of your child. Who's Scary, right? <laughs> but that's the challenge, yeah. you know, to, to make them see the connection, see, see how powerful this project could be. So uh, I thought about the idea of it. Um, I talked to friends about it at first, and people were like saying, that sounds kind of crazy. You know, who's going to, I wouldn't let my child be photographed by a stranger. And then I thought about that. Okay, so what would make me, if I had a child, let a stranger photograph my child? I'd have to know that I could trust the person, mm-hmm. that they were capable of doing what they said they were doing, and that they had a good vibe. So starting out, um, this is my third book. So I brought along my first two books. Uh, the first book is a book on celebrity, photographed 50, celeb- 50 celebrities. The second book was Lost and Found, which is a book where I photographed children who were part, who were missing. Um, and that book was endorsed by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So that helped a lot. Yeah. People seeing that work, seeing me in the book, seeing me being the author, it helped them say yes. So to be honest, I didn't get that many rejections, which kind of blew me away at first. Yeah. But it also fueled me to keep going. I remember the, the very first, uh, this is personal projects. I had this, the first idea for the very first image I wanted to do for the book. I had this picture in my mind of going to Death Valley and finding a child in this great, big, beautiful area and taking a picture. I was thinking about from the photo point of view. So I drive at the time from L.A. to Death Valley, which is like, you know, five, six hours. Get there. It's the hottest place on earth. Death Valley. <laughs> yeah. Get there, and there's nobody. It's boiling hot. Why would anybody go there? Nobody's <laughs> there. So I wait all day long. I'm trying to find a, I just want to find a family. Yeah. All I see is just, is older European tourists. That's it. So the day ends. I haven't seen a family. haven't asked anybody. I'm kind of down and dejected by all of that. I'm like, this is the first shoot? And is this a good idea? So I almost stopped doing it then. Oh, wow. Then I went out and found a family in, oddly enough, Las Vegas. That's the first, the first image hmm. uh, in Nevada. And then I went on and on, and the first seven people I asked said yes. After I had those first seven yeses, 
without any rejection, I was off and running. And then it came together. I'm really curious about your your perception of what these kids were saying, both at the time and now in a very politically charged environment. So what, yeah. what did you find these kids were um, aspirational? What, what was their well, aspiration? It's funny because all the kids are, they're so young, they can't really grasp the idea of what's going on. Right. And I wanted that because there's an age where children are just soaking everything in and they're open to be inspired by something. So a lot of the kids are like, you know, two, three, four, five. It wasn't so much the kids who understood what was going on, but their parents did. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to see the parents' light bulbs go off when I asked the question, do you think your child has the ability to be a future American president? Oh, wow. That's a, as a parent. Yeah, that would be a really interesting question it's for someone to ask me. a very interesting question for a parent, from a yeah. stranger, yeah. mind you. But it, it caused this bond that I now have with 100 families around the country. Yeah. And what were some of the answers? Oh, wow. I remember this one little boy. I, I can see his, it was a family of four. It was a mother, father, and, and little boy and little girl. And the little boy said, and his answer shocked his parents. The little boy said, um, I want to create a United States of North America where Canada, United States, and Mexico are all one. And they stopped and looked at him. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Actually, right now, I think that's a very good idea. I know. Right. <laughs> I think that's a really, so, really good How long idea. did you spend on that project? How long did that take? It took me about two and a half years. Yeah. I could only do it during the summer and spring. Um, you know, kids out of school, what have you. So I'm, I'm working really hard during the summer when kids get out to go as many places as possible. It was draining. Um, it was physically challenging. It wasn't me going around for a crew of people. You know, it was just like, like me and one person going around to uh, at, at now my uh, my ex um, girlfriend and I was going around and uh, working on it together. She drive, I drive, but the process of of bringing it together was grueling. It was it was a uh, taxing physically, but it also was. It felt amazing. Yeah. You know, you drive eight hours, you know, from one place. I mean, the Midwest was hard. Um, but every time you got a yes and a photograph somebody and you got a connection with the family. And then in many cases, the parents, I mean, I, I meet them for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the most. And then I never see them again. Yeah. But many of the parents have emailed me, you know, years later now, saying how, how it made an impact on their child. Or how amazing. they left. And so you did leave that little bit of DNA that you yeah. were hopeful for. Yeah. yeah. You know, this, this was really a random project in that you couldn't control who you were going to find. Exactly. So were you conscious of wanting to find African Americans and Asians and was it the ethnic mix? Was that, was that hard for you to get? It wasn't hard. I wanted to make sure I had a, a good mix in terms of diversity mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, um, uh, Native American. That was my goal to make sure I had, I was inclusive of everybody because it's America. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. So there were times when I had a hard time finding uh, Native American. And then that changed. The second year, people started seeing the project. I was tweeting as I was going to different places. Okay. And I started getting help. Uh, the Boys and Girls of America saw the project. And they started giving me a hand in finding people. So when I went to Alaska, they helped me find um, a child in Alaska. You know, it was, it was just wonderful how people helped in the, in the last part of the project. Was there any one kid that totally stood out to you out of, fi- out of the 50? Oh, there are there quite a few. Uh, right. <laughs> it's hard to pick one. Oh. I guess what I'm trying to get at is I know for you this was a rewarding project because you left your imprint on these families and these kids. I know that they had a huge impact on you, so I'm wondering what those what those lessons were, what really like hit you when that book was, was done. Now that it's done now, um the pictures they live with me, you know. In many ways more than any of my celebrity work for sure. I remember all the faces. This is one girl in Iowa. And 
I found her through the Boys and Girls Club of America. So we go to meet her at the club, at the Boys and Girls Club, and she's very shy. And the 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 introduction to the book is being written by Zendaya, who's yeah. like a child star. And people, kids I've got, love I've her. I've got little girls, and they, they love her. They love her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I she's love amazing. So she, she's she's great. And um, I show her a picture of Zendaya. I tell that she's doing the introduction to the book, and I watch her face change. And when I first met her, she was this very shy, reserved little girl. But in the picture, she looks so powerful. I watched her evolve in front of me. So I have no idea what's going to happen to that little girl. But in her picture, she looks presidential. Yeah. And that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, totally. And for the kids also, it was this experience that many kids don't get. You know, as adults, we take taking pictures for granted. But for a child to have a photographer take a proper picture, and by proper I mean there's there's lights, there's there's stands, there's set up. I'm doing a meter reading. They're like, you know, they are the hero of the picture, right. and they're on display. All the adults are stopping to look at them. It's a very powerful experience. And that was a very cool. Decision. I wish our audience could see your face because honestly, I can tell how much these personal <laughs> projects feed you. They, they really do. breathe life into you. So, what's the next project for you? What are you working on now, personally, that uh, is feeding your soul? I'm working on a, a big, big exhibit in Tokyo. I've been working on this actually project for like uh, off and on the last uh, nine years in shooting these these very different images. And I've always had the vision of the show being in Asia or in New York. Uh, now I have a vision of it being in in Asia for sure. What's your advice for photographers that think they need an agent or really want to get an agent? You're not ready for an agent until you are so busy when you can't handle it yourself. An agent doesn't get you work. They help you negotiate the work you already have. At what point in your career did you bring on an agent and how did you see that change your business? Well, for me, it was actually another thing that just was happenstance. I was working as an assistant. I worked my 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 uh, trajectory as a photographer. I went to art school, then from art school to New York to work as a photo assistant, working for photographers who I admired a lot. I was working for this one photographer, um, and she always she only shot in Europe. So we were working. I'm living working living in New York as an assistant, working for her. We were always going to Europe on jobs. And her husband was an agent, um, and he was from Israel. So, and his name was Gary. But Gary was uh, always putting me as the point person on all the jobs on location. And many times, I was the only guy in the crew. Um, it'd be uh, her as a photographer, uh, her client. We we're shooting all this fashion beauty, but in many cases, I was the only guy in the crew. And he always would put me in charge of like, you know, doing all this stuff. And then one day we came back from Paris. He says, Matthew, all the models know you. How do they all know you? I'm like, well, I'm always testing all the time. He says, well, let me see your book before you go on this trip. So I gave him my portfolio at the time. And we went to Paris. We do this job. And I come back. And he says, Matthew, I love your work. I'm going to be your agent from now on. Oh, wow. So he's my first agent. My first two years as a photographer, he was my agent. Um, actually, that's not true. I was already shooting. I was, I was shooting some time and then assisting sometimes until I was, couldn't uh, assist anymore. But he was my first agent. Um, and then I went shopping for an agent, and I found uh, my agent, who's still my agent today. You know, we've had a, a long-term yeah, relationship. That's a long, that doesn't happen very often, actually. No, it doesn't. That, that, and they're tough relationships. It's like a marriage. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. And you really touched on something that I think is so important. A lot of photographers have the misconception that getting an agent is going to get them work. And I know I had a long conversation with my last agent, my current agent, that um, I really had to turn my work over to her, help allow her to manage my existing client base while yes. we go out and develop that. Because it takes two or three years Absolutely. with an agent to get that work to come in. And that can be frustrating for photographers when they expect Oh my God! I got overnight a new agent. Success. I'm going to have overnight success. Boom! It it's all going to roll away. It doesn't happen. That Quite way. the opposite. Yeah. Let's go back to assisting. How how important do you think it is for a photographer to start oh. out assisting? If I they think can? if I had never assisted, 
I would never be a photographer. It was it was critical for me to work as an assistant. Coming out of photography school, you think you're ready to take on the world, but it's it's a different world. Working as a photo assistant in New York City, you were you're there seeing the photographer work on getting work. You're seeing the photographer work on dealing with clients. You're seeing them do the job. You're seeing them post-job. You're seeing the relationships evolve. You don't learn any of that in art school or in photography yeah. school. It's a big part of business that is, I guess, the, the, probably the most important part of being a photographer is running your business. Um, it's not just about photography. It's yeah. about relationships. And you see all of that and experience it firsthand as an assistant. You're there for all the pressure on the set. Um, we see a picture in a magazine, but we don't see anything that happens behind the scenes in terms of what it takes to get that shot and the relationships and the dealing with uh, you know, the egos and, and production. There's so much involved on a photo shoot that's behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Yeah. I learned all that as an assistant. What do you look for in great assistants when, when you have people approach you and they want to assist for you? What do you, they, what do you look for? It's funny because I get that all the time. People always want to assist, but they have no idea what it takes to be an assistant for me because um, we work hard. <laughs> um, yeah, they're long days. They're long days. They must be, first, they must have passion. They must be committed. They must be serious. Because everybody says, oh, yeah, I want to come and carry your bags. But it's a lot more than just that. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, it's hard work. You've got to know the gear. You've got to be able to work under pressure. It's a lot of pressure being an assistant. Um, they got to make sure everything's working perfectly, no matter if something goes wrong. And something always goes wrong in a big shoot. Yeah, always a curveball. Always. They got to be able to handle pressure. I remember doing a shoot with, um, not to drop names, I was doing a shoot with Michael Jordan. And um, I brought my assistants from New York at the time, and I hired a local assistant as well. And the local assistant was so starstruck, he, he was shaking. He couldn't do anything. <laughs> so we, we told him to just wait on the van. Really? He was that yeah, bad? he was that bad. It was like, he was like a, a teenage girl, you know. <laughs> it was, it was, I'd never seen that before. Yeah. But our whole crew was like, okay, he's not going to be good on this. Yeah, well, messes up the vibe, you know. Yeah, so you can't be a you can't be a fan. Yeah, um, you gotta be able to just roll with the punches. You gotta be a pro. Yeah, you gotta be a pro in any situation. What are some other big don'ts for for uh, either PAs or first assistants while on set? There are a lot of uh, don'ts for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a long list. I, I, yeah, and I ask that because I think you know the, the best way to get into assistant is you got to know what not to do. And you know we have assistants that have don't. come through that you know you pull your phone out like that's, put that I was away. Just going to say that uh, that's my biggest if pet peeve. Pull out their phone, they're out the door. Right? Yeah, instant. Get out. Like yeah, you're not here for you. You're not here for your Instagram. You're here to to be on call and observe and anticipate what's going to go wrong and exactly. how to help. Exactly. Number one, they got to be paying attention to me and, yep. and my needs on that set. Not looking at the celebrity or the model or trying to uh, get a connection with my client or um, with the hair person or the makeup person. They're there for the job. Yeah. And I see everything. You know, after like 30 years of shooting, you've seen everything. So you can tell almost right away who's going to be good or not. Yeah. If they're hungry, if they're um, able to work and be humble, you see that right away. Yeah. You've got to have that. Have you had any assistants try and like approach either a client or someone else and like put their work out there on set? In 30 years, I've had everything happen. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I I ask because I see that a lot. I see a lot of a lot of photographers post about, um, you know, attention assistants or future assistants. Like you should not be showing your work to anyone on set. I I see that right behind phones being the number two reason why you get kicked off set or not asked asked back. I have. I can think about right now. There was an assistant who worked for me on a job, and then after the job, the next day I left to go to New York, and I got a call like two days later from my client saying. Your assistant just called me and said that 
he knows all your lighting and he can do what you did. You can he can do the jobs. I'm like, oh, he was man. a brand new assistant. Oh, had worked man. maybe like two weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god. It's funny they think it's the lighting setup that makes it right? exactly. Which oh, is, he's probably not in the business anymore. He's probably working <laughs> at Apple. Sure he's, he's a manager at Applebee's or something. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny though. I've seen everything in thirty years. Actually, this this year is my thirtieth year shooting, and uh, it I've seen everything happen. It's funny to see it evolve now to to where the industry is as well. Yeah. So, what's your average shoot look like? Walk me through your team. Like who 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 comes together to make your shoots happen? Well, for me, it's definitely hair, makeup, stylist, uh, and assistants. That's yeah. that's the core. Um, I'm very, very picky about the team, and I like having the same team. So now I'm new in Tokyo, so I'm creating my team. Um, I'm very picky about makeup. I'm very picky about hair because those elements are a big part of my aesthetic. Yeah. Um, in Japan, people pay a lot of attention to detail. So it's a little easier finding a great team because there are amazing visual artists there. And I love the process now of finding new artists. Um, I've always loved that. Um, I've had the same hair and makeup people I've been using now for like 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. We've all come up together. So I try to keep that same team because they're dependable. They're the best at, at the, in, in the industry of doing what they do. Um, when I can get them, because everybody's trying to get the same people. For the most part, it's a small industry. Yeah. The the top hair makeup stylists, they're always booked. Everybody wants them. And, How, and they travel with you everywhere you go, if if possible. If possible, you know our industry's changed. It's not like it was back in the '90s where clients would let you do anything you want to do now. So it's uh, it's tighter budgets. Yeah. Um, I did a job uh, a couple of years ago in China, and that client let me take my entire team over and that was cool but these days they kind of they fight you on that yeah yeah because it's, travel it's quite a bit more expensive yeah, to bring your team yeah, yeah. so they're looking it's at every line item now how do we cut this out exactly sadly yeah. yeah how long did it take you to to develop the understanding of hair and makeup because it is a craft in and of itself it, it is it's and funny I, I think as a photographer you need to understand that craft in order to to work with them absolutely do i wasn't aware of that until I think it was Tyra and this makeup artist, Sam Fine, who really refined my vision of looking at hair and makeup. So before, as a photographer, especially a young photographer, you think it's just about photography, mm-hmm. and it's not. Right. Your client looks at an image, and they expect you to be in charge of everything involving the image, the hair, the makeup, the styling, because you chose that hair person, that makeup person, that stylist. So if they don't like it, they look at you. So did did Tyra invest in you saying, hey, I got to teach you makeup and hair? Or did you say, I don't understand this. I, how do we do it? No, it's actually more organic of me just watching and learning. Yeah. Um, you know, for hair and makeup, it's like, you know, two and a half hours of hair and makeup. So doing that process early on with Tyra and with Sam and with Oscar, James, I'd be sitting there just, we'd just be sitting there talking while they're doing hair and makeup. And I'd learn by watching. I'd see her come in with no makeup on, and we usually do a, say we're doing a beauty story to submit to a magazine. We'll do four different looks of hair and makeup. So you're watching her change and evolve, and I'm watching the hair and makeup. I'm giving them input on what I like and what I don't like by watching and learning over the years. Right. So that's a big part of, of what I do. Yeah, I think it's important to, to know that kind of stuff because the way you light is going to affect the makeup. Absolutely. So you need to understand the makeup to affect the way you light, right? And they need to know you and how you light. Yeah. So that's why you need your team that knows your photography. All the great photographers, they have that same team all the time. And they develop that striking look that's uniquely exactly. theirs. Exactly. How long did it take you to find your look, do you think, to define it? Mm, that's another good question. How long did it take? At first, I wasn't aware that I had a look. And then I started getting cover after cover after cover. And my friends started noticing my work even when I didn't have a, a credit line. I'm like, oh, wow. I guess I have a look. you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
for me to really be aware of it, it took a while. I think it was my agent that brought me aware, that made me aware of how important that was early on in my career and have I had that same distinctive vision throughout all my work, that same fingerprint on all the work. Mm-hmm. Do you think that having that look um, freed you to get a lot of jobs or did it pigeonhole you in a way to like, this is what he's good for? At first I thought it was pigeonholing me, but it actually helps you get the work. It's part of your DNA photographically and you shouldn't fight that. Um, because then people seek out your style. Exactly. Absolutely. You were part of the, um, I believe the last class to come on and, and be a Nikon ambassador, right? Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? How, what led up to you joining one of the, you know, the best camera companies in the world? Well, it's funny because, you know, as, as a, a young photographer, um, the first camera I purchased was a Nikon. And to, to have them approach me and ask me to be a, a, a Nikon ambassador was like, oh, my God. I called my father because he knew about a Nikon camera and how prestigious that was. Yeah. I'm like, Dad, I just got called to be a Nikon ambassador. He's like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm telling you about the process. So um, when I first became an ambassador and I went to Tokyo, I went to a meeting at, at the Nikon headquarters, and they have a museum there that's amazing. And it's the history of photography uh, and history of, of Nikon, so, or Nikon in Japan. So I go through there, and I'm going through all the cameras from the very first Nikon made to present day. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was my first camera. Oh, wow. So even now, I want to go back and buy that camera again just to have it because um, I don't have my original camera. Yeah, you got to get a copy. I yeah, have my I, I have my very first camera still. Really? Yeah. A little Kodak X15 instant camera that oh my, my mom God. my mom uh, bought me on a vacation out in New Mexico because my father was a photographer and um, the strap on his camera broke and it went bouncing down a, um, a hillside just smashing into pieces. He was distraught and my mom just bought me this little camera and I still have it. So it set my career in motion. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So what what brings you to WPPI and events like this? How do you use these events to network or market? It's funny for for me. It's it's um, my career is evolving now because I, I definitely love being able to meet other photographers and and share my stories about my career and how that can help other photographers. So I love being able to to talk about the industry to hopefully open their eyes about the possibilities. Because I think a lot of people just don't have the dream of what's possible. Um, I know I'm blessed. I've had a great career, having a great career. Um, but there aren't enough people out there doing what I do. I think uh, there's a, a group of people who just don't believe it's possible. And it is. Yeah. You know, um, there's a simple, simple thing like licensing a picture. Most people don't have any idea about that or the power of that. Um, but you can take, I went to a dinner the other night and uh, one of the people on the dinner showed me this picture of her, her two children. And I'm like, oh my God, that picture can be an ad. You know, it was such it was such an amazing image. Is a picture of her two kids, but the picture was such a powerful image. I'm like, an ad agency can take this picture. I mean, this is easily you know, fifty grand for this picture in terms of licensing and being used for the right product. It was just incredible. Um, and I told her that I'm like, you know, this this picture can take your kids to college. You know. Wow. How do you, she didn't know that. How do you, where were you when you really started to understand licensing and like really know that picture is worth this for two years? Oh, that was totally my agent. That was him who, who's still teaching me today. Uh, we're dealing um, now. I, I got up this morning and uh, sent him an email about a client who wants to license some pictures, uh, um, clients in Israel. So we're going back and forth talking about the images, uh, how long they'll use them, uh, which media, um, because you can license pictures and and make six figures. Yeah. And people have no clue about that. 
I think that's one of the toughest things for photographers today. They're kind of at that point where they're like really starting to get mainstream and maybe they're they're charging just like flat fees and like when they invoice someone it's just like this is my no this clue. is my rate and yeah, i think they're leaving a lot sad. of a lot of money on the table they're losing a lot it's 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 sad um people aren't aware of the possibilities yeah and um and clients today are taking advantage of that yeah because there are so many young photographers who don't know and just giving their work away one of the reasons Gary and I even formed this company in the first place was to help shape the future of the business. And I, I can tell that that's important for you. What, Absolutely. What is it that you want to impart on future photographers? Like, I definitely want to teach them everything that I've learned. I started doing a, I started my own course six months ago. Okay. Um, it's an online course, and it's, uh, it's exclusive. And... I teach my students everything I've learned in my career. And what's funny, when I first opened the course, I thought all the students would come from the States. But it's about 40% from America and the rest from, from everywhere else in the world. Yeah. But So we had this like United Nations of photography. Right. And some of them I met for the first time just this week because, you know, it's online, so I don't really meet them in person. But I teach them photography. I teach them high-end photography. I teach them lighting specifically about making their own their own look, about learning how to see, which is a big deal. Right. Learning how to think photographically, learning how to get the right gear, just all the things that I didn't know at the start of my career. Um, I had dinner with some of them last night, and, and they were just asking questions because— we had this connection. So I love seeing, I love having the ability to, to share everything that I've learned in my career. And some people say like, oh, well, why do you share all your secrets? I don't believe there are secrets. I believe, you know, working also as an assistant, you learn, that's a fallacy. Um, say you work for somebody like Annie Leibovitz, who's one of the best photographers in the world. People who work for Annie sign a, a contract for, I think it's either two years or three years. They're with her every single day. They they see the jobs come together. They know all the quote-unquote secrets. They're setting up the lights, setting up the cameras. They're there doing everything on the job. And they leave after two years or three years, and they still can't do an Annie image. There's no no secrets out there. The secret is you've got to find your own vision that's it. I teach my students how to do that. Photography is interesting because I, I honestly feel it's a language unto itself, but it, it is. is a wordless, accentless language, but it has its own unique voice, and that comes from the photographer. Absolutely. 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 I believe that. It's very cool, I think, for me to see somebody evolve in front of me. I like that about coming to WPPI and, and speaking or, or doing a workshop. I love those things. I love it more online because I can reach a, a broader audience that way. But to see them grow in front of you, I have one student who's in Austria, and I've watched him in six months you know, evolve. I had this other one in the south of France. I've watched her evolve. And to see them you know, get somewhere they've been dying to be, is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Can students still enroll in this class? Absolutely. So my course is called Photography Lighting Course. Um, I only open it at certain times yeah. throughout the year for enrollment. Um, but once they're a student of mine, they have lifetime access. Oh, wow. Um, which is really cool. So which is why I'm, it's very exclusive. Um, so it's closed right now for enrollment. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do is to offer all of your listeners a free video. So you can get that video by going to Matthew, which is spelled with two T's, MatthewJordanSmith.com forward slash free, and they'll get a free video called 10 Ways to Use One Light Source. Nice. So that's my gift to them. Awesome. So I like that because when I first started my career, I made the mistake of, thinking that I just had to have more gear, more gear, more gear. And then one of the photographers I was working for told me, Matthew, slow down, use one light first and master that first, then get another one. Yeah. 
and that was huge for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, hold it, I thought I need like two or three, I need to do all this other stuff. And he's like, no, 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 no. It was a wake up call for me. Do you have a favorite lighting modifier? I have several people who would like know me probably laughing right now if they hear hear me because <laughs> <laughs> they know you're really a closeted exactly. gear junkie <laughs> and my assistants as well. Like I'm not a fan of soft boxes. Uh, <laughs> if any of my assistants are out there right now, I know they're dying laughing because very often I'll do a job and I might even say, "Let's try that soft box," and they'll look at each other. They'll put it up because they know I'm going to say, let's yeah. kill it. Yeah. <laughs> they put it up knowing they're going to tear it back exactly, down in 10 minutes. Exactly. Um, I love the beauty dish. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love being able to make light that looks like my favorite time of day. I study light all the time. Um, my, my wife uh, is always joking at certain times. She's like, oh, this is your light. This is your time of day. And because... And all my friends do the same thing because they know I'm like so in tune with light. Uh, my body is still in, in Tokyo time. So I was up this morning very early and I saw the sun come up. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen it all my life. But you just it just evokes this emotion when I see that time of day. Yeah. And I love that. So in my work, I'm trying to create my favorite time of day very often. I can't do it for softbox. Yeah. And is it the morning? Is that, is that the favorite light? It's, it's that, that the golden evening, hour. The golden hour, I yeah. love that, that hard quality of light. Yeah. Because a twinge of, of being softened. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I love that. Awesome. I get more detail, more clarity. The colors are crisper. It's sharp. It's all that. I love that. And you've had a career over 30 years now that can pretty much be described as brilliant. Um, where do you want the next few years, decades to go? What's, what's on your horizon? I love that question because uh, early on in my career, I went to see this exhibit in New York. It was at uh, um, one of the amazing museums in New York. It was the first time ever they'd showed all the work of Picasso and Matisse. Mm-hmm. And it took me three times to get in because everybody in New York was trying to get into this exhibit. It was like the show to see. So I went there two times, waited in line for hours, and couldn't get in because it was that packed. The third time I finally got in, and it made such an impact on me because it showed Picasso and Matisse side by side and their work through the decades, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s. And they showed Picasso, you know, at the last part of his life, Matisse, last part of his life, Matisse in his 90s, starts doing cutouts Mm -hmm. from the bed. He's in his bed in his 90s, and he starts doing this new evolution of work. Same fingerprint, but a different evolution. I want to always evolve in that way as a photographer. And I think going to Tokyo, because your life is inspired, your work is inspired by your life, I think it's going to have a huge impact on my work. I'm looking forward to this next evolution in my life in my career of being a photographer. That's awesome. Well, tell people in wrapping up, tell people where you want them to go find your work and see your evolution. Uh, you can go to my work at MatthewJordanSmith.com. You're going to see it change quite a bit over this year in 2017 <laughs> nice. as I uh, start showing some, some new work and, uh, and having more fun photography. And I, I love it. I think it's so cool to be, we're blessed to be an artist. If you can, you know, show your vision, um, that vision is going to continue to evolve, not just this year, but from now on. Um, I love photography. If you are a photographer, guess my, I guess my best piece of advice for you is to find what you really love, not what you like. Find what you love and only shoot that. It will make a huge difference in you having an amazing career. Um, again, I have this free video for everybody who's listening. That's You can find that at MatthewJordanSmith.com forward slash free. Um, once you do that, you'll be part of my mailing list. You'll then know when I launch uh, enrollment for my next course if you want to be involved. And also, I just t- all, every week I share tidbits about photography as well to my mailing list so they find out everything where I'm where I'm going to be where I'm speaking where I'm I'm touring oh also I'm doing a tour this year um 
I'm doing a tour where I'll go to 27 cities uh, in the States, Canada, and Europe. Wow, that's awesome. What are you going to be doing on that tour? I'll be teaching a one-day seminar on photography. Well, cool. Go check it out. And do yourself a favor and buy his book. It's amazing. Where can we find your books? books. Amazon? Amazon, absolutely. Future American President. Just put that in the search bar and pick it up. You should be collecting books. That's that's where your disposable income should be. (laughs) I agree with that. I'm, I'm I'm a big advocate of buying photography books. I've got tons. You know, I just moved to Tokyo and... A big part of that was shipping books, which is a pain in the butt. Yeah. But, uh, a book expensive. changed your life. A book put That's you on right. the pathway yeah. to where you are today. That's very so true. Books are really important. Extremely. Well, thank you so much for thank coming and talking to us. Thank you guys for this. I really enjoyed this today. Yeah, yeah. this was great. So it's great. I hope to have you back at some point. Soon. I would love that. And to download this entire season, along with all the seasons for free, you can go to rggedupodcast.com and also subscribe on SoundCloud, you can iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Capture One Pro. With the most reliable tether workflow, combined with the most robust image processing, Capture One Pro 10 is the choice of working professionals. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. I get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. You see, for Rob and Gary, traditional YouTube tutorials don't cut it. And let's face it, you probably ain't getting a mentorship from a true professional in a real-life studio.